KYC is an attack on, on Bitcoiners. It's straight up an attack. If we have, you know, global economic crisis, um, Bitcoiners are very easy scapegoats. If a list of Bitcoiners in your neighborhood come out, you're not going to be a very happy person in that situation. And welcome back to the Why Bitcoin Podcast, the podcast where we question everything, but mainly why Bitcoin. I'm your host. My name is Jeff. Joined here today by my <laughs> why moisturized? Why is moisturized there? Moisturized co-host Doug. Doug, how you doing? Uh, hello. Yes, and I, you... I am moisturized. I feel good. Feel good and moisturized. Did you put that? Okay, maybe I should just leave that alone. I don't know what you're doing over there with all your moisturization. <laughs> I guess it's that time of year to moisturize. It's getting dry and yes. crackly. Yeah, <laughs> and and you got to sun your balls too, apparently. So you got to sun your balls, Doug. Today yeah. on the show, I'm very excited. We are joined by a very special guest. Every once in a while, we get some cool people on this show. Uh, we're joined today by Matt O'Dell. Matt, how you doing, man? Hello, Matt. Thanks for having me, gents. The pleasure is mine. Excellent. Excited to talk to you. Excited to talk to somebody that has talked about Bitcoin as much as you. <laughs> it's always fun to talk to Bitcoiners. All right. If this is your first time listening, uh, this is not financial advice. We're just talking about stuff and things. You should do your own research. You should also buy as much Bitcoin as you can before the end of the world. And yeah, okay, that's it. Uh, Doug, let's, let's get into right away. Our friends have left us some boosts, reads, and I want to highlight those at the at the top of the show. Boost reads. It's party time. Matt, you're All a fan right. of let's just ask Matt. Matt, you're a fan of Fountain, right? Yeah, I mean I love I love Boostergrams. I love podcasting 2.0. Uh, it's pretty it's pretty cool. As being somebody that's been a podcaster for as long as you have, have you, have you noticed a significant difference in like the amount of interactions you've gotten from, from listeners? Like before, before boosts on fountain, where was your primary conversation? Was it just on Twitter? Yeah, primarily we would interact with our audience on Twitter. I mean, it's a little bit different for me because, you know, rabbit hole recap was my first show and rabbit hole recap is the traditional ad model. Um, and then I launched Citadel Dispatch and Citadel Dispatch is uh, purely audience funded. Uh, so it's been pretty cool to watch podcasting 2.0 grow into a much more sustainable model where I can actually run uh, dispatch purely off of donations. That is awesome. It's very, it's interesting. And I'm curious if it's something that's going to last, but it's working for now. I just, we'll see if because it's basically just crowdfunding right at the end of the day so crowdfunding has been around for a while and i just think with sats it's just a lot nicer okay let's uh let's doug do you want to read the first one yeah um no because what <laughs> i first like to do is tell you that this podcast is sponsored by river Securely by Bitcoin, purchase mining rigs, and even access the Lightning Network at river.com. 
To get started, use the link in the show notes to get up to 10,000 in bonuses on River. And we thank you, River. All right, now, now I will read the first boost. Uh, oh, that's funny. It's from Butter Bitcoin. Uh, this was uh, last last episode with BTC Session Sieges. And he just says, stay humble and. <laughs> Why did he say that? That's so He didn't know who was coming on the following week. We didn't even know uh, who was coming on. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe he's from the future or something, dude. Butter Bitcoin from the future. Matt, he just says, stay humble and. Do you know what he would have wanted to say at the end of that? I don't know. It's got to be something else to do there. I'm not sure. Let's fucking go. <laughs> stay humble and let's fucking go. I like that. Um, and boost number two from Mucky Dunn says, thanks for this. Love the usual philosophizing, but the practical stuff is so necessary. Essential educational material. Yeah, Matt, you probably know, man. Uh, this is kind of where I want to start. Bitcoin goes in cycles, as we all know, and being somebody that's been a content creator, as it were, in the space, there's, do you find that you need to repeat the same information over and over again? And do you, do you feel like there's a wave of getting into the philosophy of Bitcoin and then you go back and you have to teach people how Bitcoin works again? Because we, we've just started this show, well, not just started, sorry. We've been doing this for two years. And we did education at the beginning, and then we kind of went crazy and started philosophizing, you know, why, why do we need birth certificates and all the crazy shit that Bitcoiners think about? And now we're back to like, we should probably remind people how Bitcoin works. And I think it's important, and I just think it's that time of year. So do you find yourself doing that as well? And does that, how does it make you feel to have to repeat over and over again? I mean, I think there's two elements to that question. First of all, it's easy for Bitcoiners to forget that there's newcomers coming every day. Um, so it is important to repeat the, the basic education over and over and over again forever. Uh, you know, simple self-custody tips, simple guides uh, for setting up a hardware wallet, uh, you know, the practicalities of why you want to use your own node. It's also easy to forget that people might not have been around during the block size war and you have to remind people about why that was fought and, you know, what the fundamentals were uh, for the reasons it was fought. Um, and then the second part of that question is there's actually, it's, it's really perverse incentives in the Bitcoin space. Uh, people love the philosophizing because the philosophizing doesn't require personal responsibility and personal responsibility is hard. It requires work. It requires responsibility. So most people would rather listen to a podcast talking about how Bitcoin fixes everything and how birth certificates are a scam. And as a result, they tend to get more engagement. So you actually, you know, I've tried to focus more on education just because I don't have time for the bullshit. Uh, but you do get caught up in the, you know, especially in bull markets, you get caught up in it, especially, you know, I had all caps Odell. I got very excited. People love price talk. But I just try and stick to the fundamentals. And Citadel Dispatch specifically is supposed to be a show that's focused on actionable Bitcoin discussion, not four hours of philosophizing how Bitcoin is going to change everything. That's fair. That, that's interesting you say that. I kind of feel like it's the opposite. I see a lot of people going to the, the educational stuff and not as many people. I, I think there's a very specific type of Bitcoiner that's interested in the, the philosophy. You, you see... You know, uh, 
podcasts like Valis, for example, isn't getting as much traction as some of the the Bitcoiners that are telling you how to use your how to run a node or how to do this, you know, how to how to get a hardware wallet running. <laughs> and then if you get into the spiritual aspects of Bitcoin, like what Tomer says. And uh, I, I think it's just for a very specific person. So it's interesting you say that those ones get more engagement. I'm curious to see. Maybe I'll, I'll see that in the, uh, I mean, we're going to start seeing another bull run start. So we'll see where people flock to. It'll be interesting. Fuck, I, uh, I missed my first question as I always do. Matt, (laughs) speaking of newcomers, for anybody that doesn't know who you are, can you just uh, give a brief little who you are, what your role is, and what you would say your role is in the Bitcoin community, as it were? And then I would like you to just, uh, Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm Matt O'Dell. Uh, I've been in the Bitcoin space for a little over 10 years now, mostly focused on education. Launched two podcasts, Rabbit Hole Recap, which is a news weekly news show, Citadel Dispatch, which is a topical, actionable, more education-focused show uh, with a live audience. I co-founded an open source foundation uh, called OpenSats, where we don't take a cut. All 100% of, of donations go to open source contributors. Um, and we even got tax deductible status in the United States, which is awesome. So if you donate and you, you can donate anonymously if you want, but if you want that tax deduction, you can get a tax deduction in a bull market. People like that. Um, I launched Bitcoin park, which is a community campus, uh, in the heart of Nashville focused on empowering the local community and a lot of education focus there as well. Um, I'm a partner at 1031, which is the leading Bitcoin only venture fund. Uh, we've supported 28 different Bitcoin projects, uh, some of the best Bitcoin companies in the world through that. I advise many Bitcoin companies in the space. Uh, I think I'm up to seven companies I'm advising directly right now. And um, I just love Bitcoin and I've just dedicated my life to uh, furthering this mission, basically. I just, I'm just a Bitcoiner. That's awesome. You've done a lot of shit, man. That's 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 wild to hear how, how much stuff you're involved in but that's the dream man just get more and more involved that's what I've, I've been trying to do too just uh coming in relatively new just how how many aspects of bitcoin can i touch and you're definitely somebody i look up to to see all the different avenues you can go uh, i didn't know you've been around for 10 years can you give it doesn't have to be long-winded but just like a brief summary of your bitcoin story how you how you discovered bitcoin Um, I had one friend tell me about it in 2012, he was buying drugs on the Silk Road, uh, and, you know, he wasn't really a credible person to recommend Bitcoin to me. So I just ignored him. Um, and then early 2013, maybe late 2012, early 2013, uh, I had a friend who was a straight edge Muslim developer. Uh, who also said I should check out Bitcoin. And I was like, okay, I got the frat boy uh, who's buying buying drugs on the Silk Road. And then I have the straight edge uh, developer who's who's having fun, like building things on Bitcoin. Uh, how, how do these both connect together? At the same time, uh, obviously, we had already had the 2008 financial collapse, which kind of woke me up that there were no adults in the room. And then we had the Snowden leaks, 
which woke me up that we can't trust any tech companies and that open source software is the only real way. And I basically just started going down the rabbit hole trying to figure out how the government was going to stop this thing because that was my first thought. My first thought was this makes a lot of sense. I hope the world has this, but the government will never let it happen. So I just kept trying to, to like break it in my head and I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how it was going to fail. And I just, my conviction grew stronger and stronger and stronger as I went down that path. I hear you, man. Yeah. I, uh, I love people that that's what people don't understand about Bitcoiners and all the FUD that comes out there. Like, well, what if this happens? And all the Bitcoiners just say, yeah, I already thought about that. I've researched it for 24 days and no, this is why this can't happen. You know, like Bitcoiners want Bitcoin, want to find how Bitcoin breaks more than anybody else. That That's one thing I've seen that we all have in common. Um, I'm I'll curious. You, you, yeah, you do. You do a lot more research, too, when you're down 90 <laughs> percent. I did a, I did a lot of research when I realized I was broke as a joke with, in my fiat <laughs> life and I, I had no other options. I better figure out what this Bitcoin thing is and how it doesn't work. Uh, I'm, I don't know how old you are, but I'm curious. Ten years ago, you were probably a young adult. What was your life trajectory at that point? Did you have a regular job? or And again, you don't have to answer that question if, if it's too personal or whatever. But I'm kind of curious where you would have gone had you not found Bitcoin. Uh, you know, I was, I was pretty disenfranchised. Um, and I still see this with a lot of my peers, uh, who maybe have dismissed Bitcoin or haven't listened to me, even though I ramble on about it over and over again, whenever I have a beer or two, um, I was pretty, I, I thought our system was fucked up and I couldn't see a solution. And, uh, to me, Bitcoin just gave me hope. So, I mean, I don't even want to. I don't even know what that path looks like uh, without Bitcoin, which is pretty crazy to say, looking back on it now. Yeah, man, it's that nihilism just takes over a lot of people in, in the fiat world. It, it, I was in a very dark place as well right before I found Bitcoin. So I feel that. Uh, okay, I want to. So you're the security privacy guy. So I definitely want to dive into that. Um, and I want to attack it from this angle because uh <laughs> the the reason for this episode with you, I actually have a friend that I'm talking to about Bitcoin and he wanted to ask about hardware wallets and why we need them. And uh, somebody suggested you come on the show to help explain. So I want to ask you this, hardware wallets, and I, I've been thinking about it for a while. I feel like they the two things they mainly help with is one, security, and two, privacy. Would you agree with that? Is there any more... Um, aspects that they help with. And then we can kind of dive into both of those afterwards. But is there anything I'm missing that a hardware wallet provides other than security and privacy? I think the core of the, the value prop of hardware wallets is that when you're talking about protecting your Bitcoin private key, right? So, so Bitcoin is actually stored on this global distributed ledger that we call the blockchain, right? And to get access to it, you need to have this key that only you have. And so everything, everything comes down to securing that key. Now, early on in Bitcoin, we realized uh, this is a, a known computer security principle called cold storage. This idea that 
if your private key, if this secret, if this thing that is required to spend your Bitcoin never touches the internet, it's way harder for someone to steal your money from you. Now, Bitcoin is, is very uh, powerful in that you can just generate a Bitcoin wallet offline. You don't have to connect to an internet server, right? You're not signing into PayPal and creating a login information. This is a private key that can be generated offline and never touch the internet. Now, in the early days of Bitcoin, uh, we would do crazy things in order to generate that. I mean, I, I say early days, like I, when I got into Bitcoin, I thought I was late, right? People had already been in Bitcoin for four years at that point. Um, but when I first created my first cold storage wallet, I like generated a private key on an offline computer uh, and then I printed it out on a printer and then printers have memory on them. Um, so then I destroyed the printer and the computer and it was a pain in the ass. And then how did I spend from it? Like it was a pain in the ass to spend from it. So at the core of it is a hardware wallet is trying to recreate the principles that, that underline cold storage, this idea that your, your private keys never touch the internet in a way more user-friendly way specifically when you want to be able to spend from it um, relatively easily and frequently because, because that's the problem, right? The, it's, it's one thing, first of all, there's a lot of friction and difficulty in generating a, a, a Bitcoin key offline and keeping it offline in the first place. But then also, like if you need to send some of that Bitcoin somewhere, um, you have to figure out a secure way of actually doing that without exposing that secret to the internet connected device. Do you think that the the necessity for, and I understand back then there was like 14 Bitcoiners back in 20, whatever it was, 2014, right? But uh, do you think that it's still necessary? Like as more and more Bitcoiners join the network, more and more people have Bitcoin. Do you think the overextension of looking for secure ways to store these things in cold storage is going, do you think it's trending up or do you think it's trending down? Because I feel like more and more people are going to come in and they're not going to be hardcore um, privacy advocates, security advocates, they're just going to be regular people. And so I wonder if we're going to see more and more people with just regular hot wallets or do you do you think yeah which way do you see the trajectory of hardware while it's going more adoption or well, less adoption i i think i think as bitcoin is adopted more um hardware wallets will be adopted more specifically specifically for savings um for larger amounts now i think the big trend to watch is that most people that come into bitcoin will be coming in through mobile wallets and will only use mobile wallets uh, a lot of people just don't have computers nowadays. Their computer is their phone. Um, so they will be coming in through their phone, but that's where hardware wallets become even more important because you need easy to use hardware wallets that can, can work with your phone to, to give you some of those cold storage guarantees. And here's the thing with computer security is 99% of attacks happen on the lowest hanging fruit. So Bitcoiners, we can go down all these different rabbit holes about, you know, is this is this fully open source? Like, is this secure element compromised? Is is this set up on this hardware wallet um, worse or better than another one? 
And that's important. It's important that we, you know, don't trust verify that we argue about all this different minutia. But at the end of the day, if you keep your keys offline, you are significantly more secure than if your keys are on a hot device. And if your keys are just like on your mobile phone, if like, so if you're using blue wallet on your phone, um, and, and you're using blue wallet on your phone is just a hot wallet. Okay. You know, you have a, a base level of security, but if, if you go and, and you actually connect a hardware wallet to blue wallet and you use blue wallet with a hardware wallet instead, you know, maybe you have a hundred X security or something like that, like substantial amount, right? Because if that hardware wallet works as designed, the person literally to, to attack you, someone has to come into your house or your office or whatever, and they have to take your money. Now, that gets substantially more secure and interesting in a collaborative custody multi-sig setup. So I expect a lot of different interesting multi-sig situations, and people don't really appreciate the simple beauty and power of, of multi-sig. I mean, there, that's never been possible in, in financial history before. Like you can't, you can't secure gold by having keys held in different locations um, that can be signed through the internet without those keys being together. You can deposit into the savings without having any of the keys like that. It is, it is fundamentally different. And here's the thing is like the new Bitcoiners won't even know why they'll just fucking use it. Like, so like, Square, uh, you know, Block, formerly Square, like they're about to release their hardware wallet and it's going to be extremely cheap. Um, you can use it with your mobile phone and maybe Square holds a key. The phone holds a key. This is uh, what I think they're planning. Square holds a key. Your phone holds a key. And the hardware wallet is like a backup key that you keep in your underwear drawer. Right. And the person doesn't really know that they're like using a hardware wallet or, or like what's going on behind the scenes. All they know is if, if for some reason Square won't let you send your payment, Cash App won't let you send your payment, you go to your underwear drawer and you tap it on your phone and your payment goes through, right? And like, so, so it, the key is, is we can argue left and right about which hardware wallet is the most secure, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, um, easy to use, very user-friendly hardware wallets, especially mixed with multi-sig, are going to make very user-friendly very secure experiences um, for the average person. And most of them won't even, it'll just be like second nature. It'll just be what they're used to using. That's interesting, man. You know, the multi-sig is something we haven't touched on on this show at all. And admittedly, it's something I haven't dove into myself to understand. I feel like yeah, maybe that makes me a bad Bitcoiner, but I'm just like, yeah, I don't think I need this. I don't think there's a need for it. I've, I feel pretty secure with what my current setup is. Um, yeah, could I, could I ask you to kind of give a little beginner's guide to what multi-sig is? And I kind of appreciate you explaining it like that, saying that it'll probably only get easier and easier to use multi-sig because yeah, going into it now, I feel like it's, I feel like it'd be a lot of work for somebody that's non-technical. So it's good to hear that it's going to be something that becomes uh, more user-friendly, but yeah, just for, just for somebody that doesn't know what multi-sig is, can you kind of explain, explain that? Yeah, so multi-sig is a native Bitcoin feature that instead of having one key that is required to spend your Bitcoin, um, there is a, a set of keys and a certain amount of those keys are required to spend. So the most common form of multi-sig 
is a two of three. There are three keys uh, and you need two of them to spend. That means if anyone gets access to one of the keys, they can't spend your money. They need two of the keys. Now, I like to group multi-sig in two groups. There's power user multi-sig that makes extremely secure savings. And then there's multi-sig that is, is designed to make very secure, user-friendly, easy uh, storage um, that maybe actually reduces some of the personal responsibility required on the user. So right now on power user side, multi-sig, very powerful, uh, but for most people it's overkill. It adds complexity. It's not really necessary. Now, where that where that differs is if you're an organization, you know you don't want you don't want your single CEO um, holding you know all the Bitcoin, right? Uh, we have OpenSats, our you know that nonprofit I discussed earlier. Like we can't have a single board member hold all the Bitcoin for OpenSats. They could just rug pull the foundation and take all the money. So multiple board members hold a key, and you basically need multiple people to approve any transaction out of the savings wallet. Now, that's also cool because it's all cryptographically verified. So you know that every payment, you can check which board members approved each payment. And you know there's some liability there. If, if money goes missing, if money is spent the wrong way, the organization has someone to point fingers at. So for organizations, very obvious use case. Now, public figures, very obvious use case, right? Um, if you were going to attempt to rob my house, you know, first of all, good fucking luck. Um, but second of all, you can't take any money because I have set up multisig in a way that means that even I can't spend Bitcoin from my house, right? Because you can keep it in multiple geographically different locations. Um, and then on the user-friendly side, you, you start to have really cool different concepts, right? And the most obvious one is what Unchained Capital and Casa are doing right now, um, which is what they're calling collaborative custody, where the user has two keys and the company has one key, right? So if you lose one key as a user, um, you, have, you can think of it as simple. You have two hardware wallets and the company has one hardware wallet. If you lose one of your hardware wallets, you go to Unchained Capital and you say, I lost one of my hardware wallets. Can you please sign? Right. And they bring their hardware wallet into the equation. And the two and those two keys are able to spend your funds. So if you lose something, you're still good. But there's even more creative ways uh, that will make user friendly, secure storage a possibility. Um, you could have a situation, like I said earlier, with Cash App, where the, the phone wallet holds one key. Cash App holds one key, the hardware wallet holds one key. So for any given time, usually your phone wallet and Cash App will sign. But if Cash App tries to stop you from signing, then you bring your hardware wallet into the equation. Um, there's also like this idea of something called multi-institution collaborative custody. Everyone who trusted FTX uh, to store their Bitcoin got rug pulled, right? They had their money stolen. But you could have a collaborative custody situation where instead of FTX being the sole holder of the keys, FTX holds a key, Kraken holds a key, Gemini holds a key, Coinbase holds a key, and three or four of them have to rug pull you at the same time to take your money. And then so at that point, the user is not actually holding their own key. It's not necessarily the best situation. It's better if the user holds their own key, but that could be a very user-friendly situation where a new user comes in and they have gr greatly reduced custodial risk because they basically need multiple custodians 
um, to rug pull them. And you start going down these different paths um, and multi-sig becomes very, very powerful. And we've only really just scratched the surface. It's extremely, extremely early still. Okay, Matt. So I appreciate multi-sig, but I still find issue with it in that I feel like you're, you still have to put trust in other entities in order to move your Bitcoin. So in the case of uh, where you have one one key at Casa and two keys of your of your own, if you lose your hardware wallet and then Casa goes under, all of a sudden, all your Bitcoin that was in that multi-sig is just gone. Um, similarly, if you're in a corporation and three guys hold a key and you're one guy that holds a key and you got one other guy, you can have those three guys attack the two other guys and move move coins that that you don't want don't want to. So that's my issue with multi-sig. Do you, do you not see an issue there or am I just misunderstanding something? No, I look, it's about optionality. Um, everything has trade-offs. It's about having options. I mean, in your, in your CASA example, if you are doing single SIG and you lose your key, you're fucked anyway. Um, if you use your organization example, if the executive is the only one holding the key and he steals your money, you're fucked anyway. Um, or he loses the key, then you just lost your whole corporate treasury. Um, so it gives you options. Uh, it's not perfect. Everything has trade-offs, but it's cool that you can do so many different, you can do so many different setups with it. Um, and I feel like we've only just scratched the surface on, on what can be done on the multi-sig side, but it's important to, at the core, to break it into the two buckets, right? One is a power user bucket. And then the other one is, um, you know, make more user-friendly experiences because you're able to split up that key risk among different people. Okay, that's fair. I think I'm just, I'm probably just a psycho that's like, I don't want anybody touching my coins. I'll hold them myself. Everybody else stay away. And maybe I'm just a little bit of an extremist there. <laughs> no, but see, so that would be the, that would be on the power user side. Yeah, okay. Um, and the cool and the cool part on the power user side is is you can have geographically distributed keys. You can have a situation where, you know, you can't even easily spend your own Bitcoin um, unless you travel to multiple locations, which has just never been possible before. Um, like you can't you can't split up uh, access to gold among you know three different countries or wherever you keep keep the keys like that's crazy that that's even possible um and it you know in adversarial environments it starts to get really really interesting uh because you know people might not have access well, we saw already we already saw that you know banks can't be trusted right so if you're storing large amounts uh it, it there's a massive advantage to being able to split up those keys even if you're the one that only you know where the keys are. So when you say keys, because I think about like a what what do people call it a brain wallet or where you memorize your your key your seed phrase, is that is that yeah. what you is is that what we're talking about here? You'd have seed phrases in different locations, because yeah, or or hardware wallets. Okay, so then literally, if somebody comes, somebody could come into your house, you could have one of your seed phrases memorized. And they could beat you over the head with a, a, a wrench until you tell them your one seed phrase. But if you don't have that other, other one memorized, they still can't get your coins. So it protects right. it, it protects against the wrench. I mean, that. 
I mean, memory is is not great to rely on in general because, you know, mm-hmm. um, you can get into a car accident or something and lose your memory um, or you could just forget shit. Uh, but but let's say let's say you put a seat on steel, right? Let's say you, you make a, a three key multi-sig um, and you put all the seeds on steel. So you have three seeds on steel um, and you have one at your house, uh, you know, you know, maybe you have one at like in some other location, maybe you have one, uh, you know, banks shouldn't be trusted with the single SIG in a, in a safe deposit box, but they could be potentially trusted in a multi-SIG environment because if that one key doesn't get, gets taken, you're not fucked. Right. So like one's in a safe deposit box, one's at your home and one's in your office. Right. If someone comes in to your home, they have to take that first seed on steel in your home and then they have to either go to your office or the bank and take the other seed there right and what's interesting is it's an actual bitcoin seed right so all those seeds could have actual money on the single sig portion as well so they could come in right and maybe you have you know five thousand dollars on that seed and you're like oh you 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 know you, you fucked me like you took my bitcoin um they don't even necessarily need to know that there's another key to go take. And then they have to go and take that key. Um, so it gives you options. It gives you plausible deniability. There's all these different scenarios that all of a sudden Bitcoiners can use to their advantage if they want. Now, all that said, the tooling is still very early. It can be complicated to set up. It's easier than ever to set up, but it can be complicated to set up. And for the overwhelming majority of Bitcoiners, you know, having a single seed on steel uh, that's also on a hardware wallet so they can spend it easily is a great trust model. You know, someone still has to come into your house. And if you live in America, you're armed, you know, they have to, you know, fuck around and find out and they have to take that, take that money from you. That's a pretty good trust model compared to banks or compared to even gold where, you know, how are you going to store large amounts of gold anywhere? Like that's just impractical. Um, so yeah, like I'm not saying, I, I, I still think for the overwhelming majority of Bitcoiners right now, just a single good hardware wallet, specifically, I love the cold card. Um, you get a, you just buy a cold card, you follow the steps, um, you keep it single SIG, you put your seat on steel, you are better off than 99% of the world. I mean, 99% of the world's not even in Bitcoin yet, right? Um, you're in a very secure situation, but if you're in a heightened security situation, um, where you have larger amounts or people know that you have Bitcoin or you're in a lawless kind of area, then maybe you want to split up the keys. And, and at the end of the day, you can think of it like it's, it's a safe that requires multiple keys. It has multiple keyholes and you got to put multiple keys in to open the safe. Um, that's pretty fucking cool. And that's very powerful. And I, I feel like a lot of Bitcoiners dismiss the power there. Like that is, you know, especially if governments, as you see governments crack down on it more, like it becomes so much more difficult to seize that shit. That's awesome. Matt, you just made me happy because a while ago I watched, I'm a fan of like heist movies, bank robber movies and shit like that. And I was watching one recently after becoming a Bitcoiner 
And I'm watching the bank robber. Oh, look, he's stealing all these fucking paper money. What a moron. There's no need for this. <laughs> but now I'm th- like, I literally thought that I was like, this is stupid. Why would, why are people killing themselves for paper? But just imagine in the future, if you will, for a second, a story where there's some guy and he goes to one guy's house. He has to kill him and take his fucking stack of washers and then go rob a bank for the next key and then go find some other guy that's got a brain wallet and have to torture it out of him. That'd be a cool movie. I'm, I'm for it. Exactly. There's going to be great <laughs> fucking heist movies as a result of Bitcoin multi. At the very least, it'll be worth it for that. That is that is perfect. Okay, right on. Um, I have another, maybe this is somewhat of a beginner question, but I, I would like for you to let me know. Okay, if I have a cold card or a Trezor um, or any other hardware wallet and I'm a new person, usually they generate, well, uh, in the Trezor, for example, I'll boot it up and then I'll get one wallet address, one key. Can I use that device to generate more wallets? And how do I do that? And then also with cold cards, is that is it a difficult process? Is it easy? How do you get more addresses from one device? Okay, so we'll dive a little bit deep, but try and keep it accessible. Um, your seed phrase your secret backup words right that you write down when you when you create a treasure that is not your private key uh it's easy to think of it as your private key but it's 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 not your private key it's it's what your private keys are generated from so you can generate infinite addresses from that one seed and they all are able to be restored back uh you know when you if you lose your treasure or you lose your cold card and you just take that seed and you you put it into a new one all your Bitcoin will still be there, even though it's on m- multiple different addresses. Um, and and it's an open standard. So you actually can then go to Sparrow Wallet uh, on your computer. Let's say Trezor goes out of business um, and the world is ending uh, and you need to access your Bitcoin. You can just download Sparrow Wallet and then just enter your seed on there and it should come up. Uh, your Bitcoin should come up. So you have infinite addresses uh, that are derived from your seed. And then we in Bitcoin, we have something called accounts. Um, so it's you have infinite batches of infinite addresses. Um, so you can have multiple different accounts on a hardware wallet. You can also, um, and you see that if you use the Trezor UI, they like show that there where it's like multiple wallets. I think they call them accounts in on the Trezor UI, whatever Trezor web suite or whatever they call it, their app. Um, but you can have like multiple segregated wallets on there. Uh, and they, those are all generated from your seed. So as long as you have your seed, you're able to restore to them. And then last but not least, there's something called a passphrase, which is basically a user supplied last word. Um, to your secret backup words. So maybe your secret backup words are 12 words, maybe they're 24 words. Um, It depends on which hardware wallet you're using. The passphrase is a 13th word or a 25th word. It's it's a, you know, you you get your seed that's generated from your hardware wallet and then you add, you know, pineapple to the end of it. You have a completely different wallet uh, than if you added apple to the end of it or mango to the end of it. Um, Those are all different wallets uh, and there's no way for someone to know that those are all valid wallets too. There's no way for someone to know, uh, which passphrase is the one that you're using. And maybe you're using multiple of them. Maybe you have, you know, many different passphrases on the same seed. Does that make sense? Did I explain that well? 
Somewhat. I'm still trying to figure out. So if I have, I have my main seed phrase, right? Um, and yeah. I can generate multiple addresses from it. Yeah. Which I, I guess I'm, so I could get, but it still shows up my, like my balance in my treasure is just one balance, even if right. it's in, and I know we could get it. Like, I don't want to get into UTXOs and how those are split up. We can but if you could, want to. Uh, another day, Matt, <laughs> another day. Um, but can I, so could I, could I literally have it listed so that I have like, I have a thousand sats here and a thousand sats here and a thousand sats over here and 10,000 sats here. And when I open my treasure suite, I can look at them all, or is it always going to yeah. be one balance and I just have to derive where they go from there? Um, so if you do the, I haven't used treasure web suite in a little bit, but there's a feature on there that's either like add, add new account or add new wallet. Um, if you do that, it'll show up as separate balances. Um, but if you use a wallet like Sparrow, it will actually show each address as a different balance as well. Um, so oh. that's just a, that's, and, and Trezor is completely compatible with, with Sparrow wallet. Um, that's just a decision Trezor made and a decision Ledger made on their wall, on their app. Um, just to try and make the app more user-friendly, they just show a combined balance, right? But really it's multiple addresses with different balances. And in my opinion, the better apps will show you how much, how much Bitcoin's in each address. And it'll be very clear to you. Like if you, if you use Sparrow and I would say like, like, first of all, there's very, there's very little risk for you to test out Sparrow. It's not like it wipes your treasure or anything. Just go to sparrowwallet.com, download Sparrow wallet, follow the steps to link your treasure to it. And just look at how it shows your, your Bitcoin um on your treasure now that's a that's only a privacy risk because your your private key is still on your device right if the private key is on the treasure it's not in sparrow you're not trusting sparrow with spending your money you're just trusting sparrow with looking up the balances um so i i would say like anyone who's curious about this and they're only using the treasure uh the treasure app or they're only using the ledger app Download Sparrow and just connect, follow the steps. He has like a little, you know, which hardware wallet wallet you're using. You click the hardware wallet you're using. It's like, okay, do these steps to to import. And then you import it and you can just see what it looks like in Sparrow. But it technically it's all in different addresses. Okay, right on. Yeah, my, my main like my main goal is just in the fiat world, you could have like one bank account. And that was always an issue for me because it's like, okay, these are my bills and this is my spending money and this is this. And with Bitcoin, the opportunity to just have, this is my mega savings. This is my uh, little savings for vacation next year. This is a savings account that I have for my little cousins. This is, you know, it, it would just be nice to yes. have it nice and organized sats in different areas. And so it's you can do that possible. in Treasure. Okay. You can do that in Treasure Web Suite and Treasure's app right okay. like uh it, i think it's called add account you press like add account and it just gives you a whole new set of addresses okay and a, okay. a whole different balance and then i think it lets you name them too so you can name it you know yeah, jay's whichever. vacation fund or right whatever on. cool okay right on good good to know um okay let's talk about privacy a little bit and i want to start here we had gg on a little while back and you came up and he said you know matt odell used to be a nim and then one day he decided to not be a nim so can you tell us that story when did you decide to become public and why i don't like doing things that other people do well um 
life is short. The only thing more scarce than Bitcoin is our time. And uh, if, if someone else is doing something well, then uh, that's great. That's great for the mission. That's great for Bitcoin. At the end of the day, I want my kids and their kids uh, to grow up in a world that is free. Um, and that is that is a good world, right? I don't want them to grow up in a fucking dystopia. Um, so if someone can do something better than me, by all means, they can do it. Uh, pri on the privacy side, remember how I said earlier, I went down my rabbit hole journey on Bitcoin was basically, how does this thing get stopped? How does this thing fail? And I quickly came to a conclusion that that the biggest weakness in Bitcoin was not protocol risk. Uh, the Bitcoin protocol is extremely robust. It's very hard for any nation state to stop Bitcoin. Um, and when we talk about nation states stopping Bitcoin, it's really, you know, the U.S. government is 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 the main one, right? Like they're the ones that are very powerful. Um, and I don't even think the U.S. government could stop Bitcoin right now. I don't think they can turn off the network, right? I don't think they can stop transactions from processing. But what 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 governments can do is governments can go after individual Bitcoiners and they can, you know, do what governments do best. They can put a gun to their head and they can say, you know, give us your Bitcoin or the much more societally acceptable way is, you know, uh, we just passed this brand new tax bill and you have to pay this amount of taxes for it or whatever. Um, so that's the biggest vulnerability is, is the privacy of individual Bitcoiners, individual Bitcoiners getting targeted. And if you don't have privacy, you don't have freedom. Um, because if you're not able to selectively reveal what other people or what other entities know about you, um, they can use that information to control you. And then if you don't have freedom, you can't have wealth because it's not really your money if you can just be thrown in jail or coerced to do something. So to me, the single biggest vulnerability for a world that I want my children to grow up in is individual Bitcoiner privacy. Now, I was a NIM for a long, long time, and I looked around and I, you know, I was very good about my own personal privacy, didn't show my face anywhere. Um, only would go to like small local meetups. And I looked around and the space was dominated by influencers uh, that didn't want to talk about the hard issues, that didn't want to talk about personal responsibility, that did not want to talk about financial privacy. And it's a crazy catch 22. It's a crazy uh caveat that for the masses to have some semblance of privacy um and i'm not trying it's i i kind of hate because i i'm not trying to be a fucking martyr i don't want to be a fucking martyr um for the masses to have some semblance of privacy like we need certain people to be public privacy advocates and educators like people need to fucking talk about it you know, they're the the powers that be that are anti-privacy and anti-freedom are winning when people don't talk about it, when people 
don't feel comfortable talking about it, when people practice self-censorship and don't fucking talk about it. So I was like, I'm going to start talking about privacy. No one's talking about privacy. Um, I'm going to start educating people on privacy. And you can do that behind a NIM. I did it behind a NIM for a while. But people just are a lot more comfortable with knowing someone, uh, seeing someone's face. And so I did two things. I said to myself, if I'm going to sacrifice my privacy to a degree, um, and, and once again, privacy is not being a fucking ninja. Uh, you don't have to be Jason Bourne. Privacy is being able to selectively reveal what the rest of the world knows, right? So I still selectively reveal what the rest of the world knows, but I've given some intimate information to people, especially my face, right? And also rabbit hole recap is just weekly, right? So different things come up that that people know about me, um, but I, ultimately I choose to let that information go out there. Now I said two things. I said, if I'm gonna give up portions of my privacy and selectively reveal this stuff to the world, I need to focus on user education um, and helping people become more private themselves and learn privacy best practices. I need to promote and um, I need to promote and boost uh, privacy focused NIMS that might not be getting attention because they're NIMS, so they don't get as much attention. But if you have a public figure out there saying, you know, go follow 6102 Bitcoin, go follow Bitcoin Q&A, listen to this podcast with Bitcoin Q&A, listen to this podcast with Econo Alchemist. Um, it helps, right? It helps get their message across. And I kind of assumed, you know, when people see someone doing something, they usually mirror you. Um, we see this in the influencer world all the time. Uh, someone figures out a new Bitcoin influencer shtick, uh, you know, like Breedlove got successful on the being a philosopher podcast and like everyone decided to be a philosopher podcast. Um, and I thought maybe, you know, we'd have like a bunch of different privacy advocates that would come out of the woodwork and I can just kind of like fade into the darkness. Um, and fortunately we have a lot of them are NIMS, which is good. That's fine. I, I, we need more NIMS in this space. Um, but it, we really didn't get the kind of uptick that I was hoping to get. Uh, but my plan is still, is still that, you know, uh, do my part. And I still think like, I haven't given enough back to Bitcoin to this day. Like I constantly, constantly wonder how I could do more, but do my part and then just live my life. Just fade into the darkness and live my life. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I think about it. It's something I struggle with on a daily basis. Some days I wake up, I'm like, you fucking idiot. And other days I wake up and I'm like, we got to do more. Like, what are, what are we even doing here? Um, but I go back and forth. It's a, it's an internal battle. That's interesting, man. Yeah. I, I noticed that too. Cause Doug and I are halfway nims i'm a goomba on on twitter you know and uh we don't show our faces we just have an audio podcast and yeah the the influence fucking bitcoin influencers are are so strange right because it's such a weird title i just think i don't know i i I question content creation in bitcoin a lot i question a lot of the, the the guys that were around in the old days too uh 
because it must be a lot of pressure to be <laughs> like there's never been something that came up where it's going to affect everybody on the globe right so say you're say you're a, a content creator and you're talking about I don't know, Call of Duty. You know, Call of Duty is only going to get to X amount of people. And it's not going to make you obscenely wealthy in the process. Whereas if you're talking about Bitcoin, it's going to eventually, everybody on the world is going to know what Bitcoin is. And they're going to know you've been talking about it for X amount of time, which means you likely have so much. I'm sure that you've lost all your Bitcoin through the years. But it's just something that must eat at at those older Bitcoiners, right? I... I I went, <laughs> this is kind of an off the wall question, but like take Roger Ver, for example, the dude had fucking ba- basically all the Bitcoins, you know, and then he had what seemed like a mental breakdown. And I kind of questioned, you know, maybe he just said, I'm going to have way too much power and way too much responsibility. I don't want this. And I think there's been nope. a couple other guys, right? Like we, we see a, a rotation <laughs> of, of Bitcoin influencers or Bitcoin um content creators do you have any thoughts on that like do you see yourself rotating out or yeah i look i first of all roger can go fuck himself (laughs) no Uh, i agree i agree roger roger got greedy um roger got greedy and he lost the majority of his bitcoin on on the bullshit he played trying to scam people can you imagine Um, getting greedy when you have that much bitcoin and you understand what bitcoin is that's what i don't get man it doesn't that's what he didn't he didn't understand it right so here's here's the thing first of all i fucking hate i i do not consider myself an influencer some people might consider myself an influencer i don't consider myself an influencer and and my distinction my distinction there is is an influencer needs you to be reliant on them. There's no such thing as a personal responsibility influencer because if if my education is is correct, you don't need me, right? I don't need to monetize my audience. I don't need to monetize you. Like influencers, their their pure goal is to monetize their audience. They need you to be as reliant on them as possible, and that's why you don't see people with platforms really advocate for personal responsibility because it's not a very financially sound way to go in terms of audience monetization. Um, So like, you know, people obviously think everyone thinks everyone has a larger stack than they do. Okay. But I will say that I've watched people come and go and make shit tons of fucking money and then disappear into the darkness because they decided to go an unethical path and take advantage of people. And I never chose to go that path. I'd be retired already if I chose to go that path. Um, so, yeah. So that that's my piece on that part. But as far as public Bitcoiners go, there's basically two paths. It's like, well, there's three paths. There's very few of us that last more than six or seven years without either losing their mind, scamming their audience, or just straight disappearing like that is basically the three paths you can go down there's very few people that just it's it's like a handful of people that just you know just just keep pushing forward try and stay ethical um and still exist in the public eye it just doesn't really happen and and you know so like an early bitcoin influencer is vitalik for instance like and he decided to scam millions of people and he made fucking bank right you, then you have Roger Ver, like 
the ego got to his head. He thought he was literally Bitcoin Jesus. He called himself Bitcoin Jesus. Um, and he lost a shit ton of money. Then you have someone like a Vinny Lingham. I don't know if, if you guys even know Vinny, but Vinny was an early Bitcoiner and he tried to scam people and still lost all his money. Um, and he still exists around. He like, I don't know. He's like, does, does some shit around. But like, there are very few people that are able to, I mean, it's, it, being a public person is very stressful. Uh, and then Bitcoin, you know, can be very stressful for people if they if they don't find their Bitcoin Zen. Um, so there's a natural, ultimately the cool part about Bitcoin is that it's not controlled by anybody. There are no leaders. Um, and there's almost like a natural cleansing process where, where people either leave or they get scammed or they get burned out, they lose their fucking mind. It's pretty crazy to, to watch, but, um, or they just fade out into the darkness. There's a lot of people that just fade out into the darkness, live very happy, fulfilled lives. Um, and I'm very happy for them. There's a, <laughs> that's the best path. That's like the, that's the ideal situation. Absolutely, man. Yeah, the Vinny guy you talked about, I, I've never heard that name before. And I've researched a lot of Bitcoin shit. A name that comes to mind for me, I wonder if you know this guy. There's a, a movie, uh, a video documentary called The Rise and Rise of Bitcoin. Fuck, I can't remember what the guy's name is. But like, I, I looked him up on Twitter. He's got like, I don't know, a couple thousand followers. And he was he made this badass documentary about Bitcoin in 2012. And it's just it's awesome. Um, but yeah, yeah he's a cool dude. Okay, right on name too. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I, look, uh, it's it's harder than people realize to hold on to Bitcoin. Uh, uh, just, yeah, just life, you mean you mean just by selling back into fiat and becoming fiat rich? You mean? No, just life comes at you. Like you just okay. people have things to do. You know, people have cars break down and babies are born, and you got to spend money. Are due. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Bitcoin goes down 90%, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, there's very few people that have the stomach to, to handle that kind of volatility. And uh, yeah, I just, most early Bitcoiners lost most of their Bitcoin. There are exceptions to that rule. Um, but uh, mo most, most Bitcoiners uh, live in the shadow of their all-time high stack. Right? Like they, and, and the, you know, the numbers are crazy, right? Um, yeah. That would drive you batty too, right? If you're somebody that used to have thousands of Bitcoins and now you know that you'll never own more than a couple that, that would just drive no, yeah, people and like, insane. You still have, you still have life-changing money. It's like they have 20 Bitcoin or something, but they used to have 2000, right? And they just know that never in their life are they ever going to have that 2000 again. What if things went different? People yeah. just lose their fucking minds. Yeah, Bitcoin, that, I guess that's one important thing about Bitcoin. I guess you'd agree is that you need to just be calm. <laughs> I guess that's the whole thing. Stay humble, right? Let, let's roll into that. What does stay humble mean to you? Because I, yeah, what does stay humble mean to you? Well, the cool part about stay humble stack sets is um, it means different things to different people. Uh and uh, people interpret it in different ways. And it's, it's really funny when people tell me what it means um, definitively. Um, I think, look, I don't pretend to be the most humble person. 
uh, I've had many bouts of not being humble. Um, but I've touched the stove. I've touched the stove. And throughout the years, I've learned that this is a, this is a very long game. Um, and you have to constantly humble yourself. Ego is usually the killer. It's when you think you're smarter than everyone else is when people make mistakes. Um, it's when you're, you think you're Bitcoin Jesus that you think you can scam millions of people and you lose the majority of your Bitcoin. It's when you have ego and you think riding up the next shitcoin is going to be the best move ever or, or trading Bitcoin with leverage is, is a great idea. Or maybe this custodian is not so bad and I'll just keep, I keep my Bitcoin with this custodian because it's easy for me to trade or get yield on BlockFi. And look at this great yield I'm getting. Um, the ego is what kills. And I basically spent years in the Bitcoin education space. And we've all seen, if, if we've all seen over the last 10 years, five years, six years, not even in Bitcoin, that you know, some of the most powerful language and lessons are memes. And memes are good memes are based in reality. Right, they have they're they're based in a core truth, um, and so stay humble, stack sats is just like a distillation of years of educational efforts. I used to have threads that were basically TLDR was stay humble, stack sats. It was like 20, 20 tweet threads, um, and that's why I mean that's why I say it every day. Right, it's like what else is there to say at this point? That's it. Everything else is is almost a grift um to different levels it's like you don't need to listen to a four-hour bitcoin philosophy podcast you just need to stay humble and stack sats uh maybe i mean you got to learn how to use it just like everything else that requires personal responsibility you know if if you have land you have to learn how to use the land if you have guns you know you have to learn how to use the guns and you have to have the right skills for it it's useless for you without the skills if you stack sats you have to learn how to use the sats you know, you have to learn how to use the tools, but, but ultimately that's what it comes down to. It's, it's, you work hard, you check your fucking ego because ego will fucking kill you and you try and accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible. That's fair, man. Yeah. See, I interpreted it in a couple of different ways too. And I, I, I like that you bring it back to yourself because for me, I get frustrated and this must be only extrapolated for you. When you go to talk to somebody about Bitcoin and they blow you off and you're like, okay, well, I'll talk to you about it later. And a cycle goes by and you're like, hey, can I talk to you about Bitcoin now? And they still think you're an asshole. How do you not just tell everybody to fuck off at that point? Have you done that to certain people in your life? Like you've been proven right over and over and over again. And there's likely still people saying, nah, that thing, that Bitcoin thing, that's not going to work out. Does, does it drive you nuts or is that when you just go back and just stay humble and leave these fucking people alone? Like at what point is it just be arrogant and tell everybody to fuck off? You know, <laughs> that's my question. But yeah. I mean, that's what people, I think that's what people miss. Um, and look, it, it's cool that it's different things for different people. It's a fucking me. And like, I'm not pretending to own it. It's way bigger than me. Um, I remember the early days people wanted me to, trademark stacking sats there was like a couple people that tried to trademark it 
you know, out from underneath me. And they're like, Matt, you have to trademark it to protect it. It's like, no, I'm just going to say it all the fucking time until it becomes fucking common vernacular. And then anyone who tries to trademark it is going to get fucking laughed out of the room. It's like trying to trademark buy Bitcoin. Um, and that was never my style. I try and build in the open. I believe in the open source movement in general. Um, but to me, that was never the point. Like I, I mean, I've told Bitcoin deniers to fuck off many times. And to me, that's not contrary to stay humble. Uh, when I say stay humble, I mean, you know, you personally make sure you don't, you know, let your ego get to you. Like, don't think your shit does, doesn't stink. Doesn't mean that you can't call out other people if their shit stinks. Um, because it does often, you know, and do I get frustrated with people? I get frustrated with people all the time. I just hit the Zen point where most people in my life know I'm, I'm the Bitcoin guy. And when they're ready, they'll come find me. I don't like, I don't believe in this concept of orange pilling. Um, we don't need to orange pill people. In fact, it's very difficult to convince someone that they need Bitcoin if they don't realize the need. The truth of the matter is, is our systems are, are, are broken, they're corrupted, and people will realize the need for these tools. Uh, and when they realize the need, we have to have the education and tools ready for them um, so that they can exercise their personal responsibility and pick themselves up from their own bootstraps and get their shit done. But no one's going to do it for you. No one's going to do it for them. Um, so this, this whole idea of like orange pilling people is something that I just, I, I just don't believe in. Uh, maybe a young Bitcoiner believed in it, but uh, me, a young Bitcoiner, I believed in it, but I, I, don't, I just don't believe in it anymore. I think people will realize the need and when they are, we need to have everything ready for them. And this goes beyond Bitcoin. I mean, do you think I get frustrated about people ignoring me about Bitcoin? What, when I go into a close friend's house and they have an Amazon wiretap plugged into their wall um, or they have you know, a cloud video cameras outside their front door. Every time you walk in, they know every single person that walks in or they send their DNA to some random company that's essentially doxing their grandchildren. Like that's infuriating. But I know that ultimately I'm not going to be able to convince them of the concerns that are happening there. They're going to figure it out eventually. They're going to touch the stove. Like they're going to get burned. We're going to have bigger and bigger compromises. Like people will get fucking hurt. And as that happens, they will seek out tools that empower individuals, tools that defend themselves. And they'll, they'll figure it out. And at that point, like, we just have to make sure that we have everything ready for them. So that process is as easy as possible. No, I completely agree. As far as the, the orange filling thing goes, I think it's, I, I agree with you. You can't go out and convince somebody to use Bitcoin. But you can, like what I do is I, and yeah, I was act aggressively trying to orange bill people when I first started. And yeah, you learn pretty quickly, people don't care, but you will have those people. They, they just need to know, oh, you're the Bitcoin guy. And then they'll ask you. And yeah, as long as you have some resources or some books for them to read, like that, that that's what orange filling is to me. It's just helping somebody on their own journey that th their curiosity is sparked. So it, it's no, I not agree so with much. That. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what orange pilling means to me. It, I, not just, so much. I don't think you can force someone into it. But like, no, absolutely. You just not. let them. You let them know where to find you, um, and let them know that there's a better way. And then that's really all you can do. Most people require multiple touch points before they 
before they get involved. I will tell you though, dude, the most infuriating thing is not someone dismissing Bitcoin. It's someone, you know, at the Thanksgiving day table, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is great. This makes so much sense. And then like four weeks later, they're like, yeah, I just bought some Ripple. You know, I, just, <laughs> I bought some Tron. It's faster. Like the Africans are using it. Like the Africans are using Cardano, man. Like it's the best. I'm like, no, no, you should say Humble Stacks Ads. They're like, no, dude, the Cardano is great. And so what do I do? I roll my eyes. I wait till the bear market happens. I wait till their shit coins get fucking wiped the fuck out. And then they come back, right? And they're like, okay, Matt, like I see you were right. And then maybe sometimes in that situation, they're just completely turned off from quote unquote crypto in general. And then you have to wait four more years and then Bitcoin's at a new all time high. And then they come back to you and they're like, okay, Matt, I'm ready now. And then I send them, you know, my cold card guide. I'm like, okay, buy the cold card. I'll help you get set up and we'll do this the right way. And so like some people, like it's been like a six year process, seven year process. Um, and that's just what it is. <laughs> You know, it's, you know, it's so, you know, it's the most frustrating thing, Matt. I, uh, I'm talking to my friend about hardware wallets and shit. I'm like, here, just, just Google Bitcoin hardware wallets. I'm sure it'll be fine. And so I went home, I did it myself and I like on a fresh YouTube account just to see what pop up. Not a single Bitcoin fucking thing comes up. It's all crypto junk. It's all how to trade. It's all what the new hot fucking coin is. So it's, it's, I don't know if it's getting harder, but from my, from my perspective, Anybody that doesn't diligently go looking actively for Bitcoin only content, it's very easy to fall down that fucking crypto path, Dude, which is you, is so frustrating. If you yeah. search on the mobile app stores, if you search on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store Bitcoin wallet, it's all shitty mobile wallets. It's like the worst mobile wallets. All the good mobile wallets are are all the way buried on the bottom of the search engine. And, it, you know, it goes back. It's just like influencers that are trying to monetize their audience to the fullest and keep them reliant on them, you know, preach the opposite of personal responsibility because that's how they monetize to the fullest. That's how they get the most engagement. Someone telling you, you know, this thing will appreciate over time and purchasing power. And, you know, you have to think long-term and you have to hold your own keys and you have to take this radical personal responsibility is frankly way less interesting to the average person than saying, if you ape into this shitcoin, I will make you a thousand X without you doing any work whatsoever. And so the majority of people do that. And it comes down to, you know, there needs to be people. And once again, not trying to be a fucking martyr. There's a lot of people that focus on good quality education in the Bitcoin space. And I'm grateful for every single one of them, but we need individuals to step up and put themselves in a slightly more risky situation by 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 publicly doing this stuff. That's why what you guys are doing. That's why when when people say to me, they're like, "Oh, like Matt, like uh, like you don't want to come on my podcast, you know? Like you you speak all the time. Like everyone wants you on their podcast or whatever. Like every single Bitcoin podcast that's focused on the right fundamentals is 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 something that I want to support. Every single blog, every single newsletter, every single YouTube tutorial series, like it matters. It makes a difference. It's going to make it and all this it compounds over time. Like it's it's important. No, I agree. Yeah, it's just the the shit coining <laughs> garbage is easily overwhelming to the Bitcoin signal and it it just is what it is, but we continue to fight the good fight, man. So I appreciate you uh, doing that. Okay, you're feeling 
pretty good. Let me get you nice and angry here on this next question. All right. KYC free sats. I kind of feel like this is an over, uh, what's the word? Over exaggerated necessity, necessarily thing to obtain. And I'll tell you why, man, because as soon as you work one job that you get paid for in sats, those are KYC free sats. Like the only KY, only KYC sats are the ones you purchase directly from a um, exchange. And exchanges are only going to be around for so long. So do you think that KYC free sats are forever going to be something people need to strive for? Or do you see them like eventually they'll be obsolete because every sat will be KYC. If I get paid from a job, and the guy pays me in sats, and then I use those sats to give them to my cousin, and then my cousin uses those sats. Like right away, those sats are nobody knows whose they are once they've passed through one or two, one or two hands. So why why do KYC free sats matter so much? Look, I I agree with you on that. Um, KYC is an attack on on Bitcoiners. It's straight up an attack. It's a very successful attack. When I first got into Bitcoin, none of the exchanges used KYC. The first started first started exchanges started coming out with KYC. I think Coinbase was one of the first. You know, Reddit and Bitcoin Talk. We didn't really have Twitter yet at that point. IRC. Everyone was like, "I will never use this KYC exchange." Um, and then it just became normalized. And like in the course of like two years, from like 2015 to 2017, it was just like every service just started requiring all this intimate personal information. So there's a couple of things to pack, unpack here. First of all, I think it's been a very successful attack on Bitcoin. Second of all, I, I agree with you um, that it's a momentary attack. It's something that we have to worry about in the short term because ultimately we're going to be in a circular economy. People won't buy Bitcoin. They'll earn Bitcoin and they won't sell Bitcoin. They'll spend Bitcoin. And as a result, you won't have those centralized on-ramps and off-ramps that require this intimate personal information. The third thing I will say is Bitcoin aren't KYC'd. There's not KYC Bitcoin and KYC free Bitcoin. It's individuals. Individuals are KYC'd. It's lists of Bitcoiners. It's every major Bitcoin company keeping lists of Bitcoiners forever that can get stolen or can get shared with governments and that often get shared with governments. And the concern is very similar to the gun rights movement in America. There's a reason why the, the hard line on gun rights activism is we do not want lists of gun owners. And that's because if you have lists of gun owners, it becomes way more likely that you can have seizure situations where those lists are used to go after those gun owners and to persecute them. We saw a situation um, uh, I think in Australia, we saw a situation where they have very tight gun regulations and uh, a list of gun owners got leaked or hacked. And as a result, their neighbors all started turning on them, right? They knew like this guy on this block had a hunting rifle or whatever. Um, same thing can happen with Bitcoin. If we have, you know, global economic situation crisis, um, Bitcoiners are very easy scapegoats. If a list of Bitcoiners in your neighborhood come out, you're not going to be a very happy person in that situation. So I think it's important to realize that these are lists of individuals. These are lists of Bitcoiners being kept by Bitcoin companies, and they're a threat to those individual Bitcoiners. They're not a threat to Bitcoin long term. 
it'll get mitigated by circular economy. Um, and, and, you know, in fact, if we start to see a real crackdown on these regulated exchanges and these regulated on-ramps, the only way you'll actually be able to get Bitcoin is to either earn it or do P2P trades. Um, so, I mean, that's, the, that's the way I look at it. And I will say that, you know, the majority of money that's made in the space is made off the back of these regulated KYC institutions. So as I said earlier, most people will not talk about this stuff, um, because they want their sponsorships or they want their salary because they work for a regulated company. So it's a very, uh, taboo subject and. It was really interesting because, and like I said, in 2015, consensus was very anti uh, giving up your personal information to buy or use Bitcoin services. Um, and then it switched over in like 2017, 2018, 2019, maybe even early 2020. No one talked about KYC free. No one talked about the risks of KYC. And now it's actually, it's back out there. People debate it all the time. People talk about it. That's exactly where it should be. Because like if, if, if your bank account, if all your money's in your bank account and your, your bank account is fully docs, like that's fully KYC already. I, there's a decent argument that the easiest way for you to get money out of your bank account is to sign up for one of these KYC services and transfer to Bitcoin wallet you control and then learn privacy best practices and try and get privacy after the fact. Now, you're obviously still going to be known as someone who bought Bitcoin at this date at this time, but you can have forward transactional privacy. You can have privacy going forward. Um, I think that there's a decent argument there. But the key is that the users need to understand the risk. The users need to understand that they're on a list and that, that their transaction history is on that list as well. Um, every purchase and every withdrawal they made is on that list. And we saw some like, there was like bad shit happening. You know, it was users were coming in in 2019. They had no idea of the risks of KYC and they would go and sign up for like 10 different services. Um, they would, they would share, you know, their selfies and their social security number and their home address and the blood type of their firstborn and their whole entire Bitcoin transactional history. They would share with seven or eight different companies. Um, and they just didn't understand the risk. So the most important thing is that users understand the trade-offs. Um, but I do agree for the most part um, that I think long-term, it's not really a threat. It's, it's a short-term threat, but it, it's definitely an attack on Bitcoin and it's definitely been very successful. That's fair. Yeah, it just, it just depends on your, your time frame. Any Bitcoiner that's looking a little bit into the future is just... All, all of these things, exchanges, KYC, all this shit just becomes obsolete. So it'll be fine. But I suppose we need to remain diligent as the battle <laughs> rages on for fucking Bitcoin takeover. I just, I don't not, know. But you realize it might not be fine for certain individual Bitcoiners, right? Like, so let's say, let's say you live in France, right? And you've been buying Bitcoin on a KYC exchange. And then the French government comes out and says, um, the French government comes out and says, if you hold Bitcoin, if you hold Bitcoin, you have to every year, you have to disclose exactly how much Bitcoin you hold. Um, and you have to pay a 10% tax on that Bitcoin because you caused this economic crisis. So you have to pay this additional 10% tax. 
Now, how does that look in enforcement wise? Because people people say like, oh, well, you know, I hold my own keys. Like I have my hardware wallet. It's on steel. Like they have to come and take it. They're not going to go door to door. What they do in that situation is they put out the the notice that everyone has to disclose their addresses and how much Bitcoin they hold and they have to pay their 10% tax. And because they have the KYC information and because most users don't understand uh, on-chain privacy and how to use Bitcoin privately going forward, a few large holders will lie about it and they'll be like, no, I, you know, I lost my Bitcoin in a boating accident or I don't really have, you know, 10 Bitcoin. I only have two Bitcoin and I'll pay you the 10% tax on the two Bitcoin. And they will make an example out of them. They will throw the book at them. You know, they'll do their classic state violence. They'll put a gun to their head. Um, and they'll be like, look, we're looking at the KYC records. We're looking at the on-chain records. We know you own this Bitcoin. You just moved it the other day uh, to spend on this thing or that thing. Um, you're breaking the law. And they'll throw them in jail or they'll give them a big fine or something. And then 99% of people will just comply with it. Like we saw that in 2020, the overwhelming majority of people, you just add a little fear to the mix. They'll just fucking go and comply with it. So there is dark paths there that could happen. If, if like the KYC is the tip of the spear, right? It's like the first step of the attack. Um, and you can kind of see like 6102 style, like seizure attacks kind of happening off the back of that. And it's a very real threat for individuals, not for the Bitcoin network. Um, not for the future Bitcoin circular economy, but for individuals today, individual Bitcoiners today um, can be very vulnerable in this situation. Yeah, I see that. I think I think that's where the argument comes up, where you, you're just going to see the guys that care are going to leave France, for your example, just fucking dip out of France. Why would I live here if you guys are being assholes? That's the, you know, the sovereign individual thesis where you just go somewhere freer. Correct. Or, Right. So that that's one solution. And the people that want to comply, we're probably going to comply forever anyways. And they'll just be eating the bugs and doing the fucking shit that the government tells them to do. And then if you again, if you extrapolate it more, the government can only attack individuals so long as they have goons to fucking put out their orders. And they only have goons if they can pay them. And if they can only pay them in fiat and suddenly the goons realize, yeah, fiat's bullshit. I want Bitcoin then the government loses all power anyways. So they, they can't do shit. And maybe that's a little bit down the line, you know? Maybe, yeah, you just have to get there first. Yeah, it's probably like, what, 97 days? 90 days to a million and yeah, according, days will according to free. We have about 82 days to wait for that, yes. There you go. So every, everything will be okay <laughs> by that point. Everything's going to be okay. But yeah, I just, I think anybody that's going to comply is going to comply. Like you said, 2020 was a good example of that. And anybody that... <laughs> perks their eyes up and say what the fuck's going on here this is kind of fucked we, we might just see a bitcoin future where there's just a bunch of dudes that are and this will lead into my last question um just a bunch of guys that are just disregarding the state altogether and living their own lives and uh yeah that leads into this question where a lot of bitcoiners and me and doug included have come to the conclusion that like the what happens at the end of all this is i'm gonna get out of the cities and go live in a cabin in the woods and, you know, grow my own food, raise my own animals and generate my own energy. And I feel like that's going to be the case for a lot of Bitcoiners. And now I've heard you in a few podcasts say that, that that's what you want your future to be is living in a cabin in the woods. And so my question for you is just like, why aren't you doing that yet? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I always, first of all, this is Citadel theory, right? This idea of I, I, like hyper-localism, mm -hmm. um, local communities and, and you know, um, self-sufficient local communities that are also connected by global trade because we have Bitcoin and, and other technology. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I agree that's how it plays out on a long enough time scale. Um, and I always joke around seriously that the way I see it, my, my family is going to live in a cabin in the woods, minding our own business, um, and having a very good fulfilling life, uh, whether Bitcoin succeeds or fails, it's just, if, if Bitcoin fails, someone else will own the land and I'll just be on their land. Um, but if Bitcoin succeeds, it will be mine. Um, I would say to you. that it's a balancing act um, to try and maintain as much optionality as possible while holding, you know, as much Bitcoin as possible. Mm -hmm. The potential upside and uh, it's hard to, you know, choose a fixed place to be uh, depending on how the situation unfolds. But then I would also say to you, uh, I mean, you might have noticed that my internet was pretty bad this conversation. It's true. So you are living in a fucking cabin. I'm gonna find you, Matt. No, that that's fair. Okay. Uh, yeah, man. That that's that's the dream for a lot of people is just to get out of the fucking cities, watch them all burn down from afar, or just disregard them all together. So anybody that's doing that, but yeah, I guess you have to balance out. It's an investment. If you're gonna build a cabin, you got to put in the work, and you got to put in the time, you got to put in the resources, and obviously the money there. So. At what point do you have enough money to do that? I guess that's different for everybody. Uh, I'm definitely not I will there say, yet, but... I will say there's something to be said. Um, if you believe that there's going to be hyperinflation and you got to stay humble always. Uh, you said at the beginning of this podcast, uh, this is not financial advice. Mm. Um, pretty much everything I talk about is financial advice and life advice. So take yeah. it as you will, but don't trust verify. Um there's something to be said about if we think that we're going to go through heavy inflation, I think hyperinflation, um, there's a sweet spot uh, in terms of, there's a sweet spot specifically in terms of, of, of 30 year fixed rate mortgages that Americans are fortunate to have. People in Europe and Australia and stuff, they don't get 30 year fixed rate mortgages. Um, so it's a balancing act of, of protecting your Bitcoin um, and trying to accumulate as much as possible so you have more optionality in the future. Um, because the way I look at it, I mean, uh, an hour worked today um, is going to be worth, you know, way more than 10 hours worked in 10 years or whatever, right? It's going to be like a thousand hours or something. I don't even know. Who knows? Mm -hmm. You can't really comprehend Bitcoin purchasing power. Um, but like, if you're going to work in the short time we have on this world for sats, now's the time to work for them. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a balancing act. But if you can get like the right deal um, and you can lock in a, you know, a 30 year loan with some patsy on the other side, uh, then there's some really good opportunities here. Even if we do see some kind of real estate collapse or something like it's, it's nice to own your own piece of land your own little citadel um, that you can call your own and that you can feel, a, you know, a stable foundation on if, if the world gets shittier 
you know, I, I'm not, I'm not rooting for the world to get shittier, but I just, you know, realist. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm pragmatic about it. And it just seems that's the way we're going. So yeah, um, for- you got to get your own house in order. Absolutely. Yeah. For the record, I say not financial advice, but definitely buy as much Bitcoin as you can before the end of the world because <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. It's okay, dude. Absolutely. I have, I have a couple quick questions from Twitter and then we'll let you go, dude. Sound good? So, <laughs> okay, right on. Question number one from Twitter comes from Ghost of Whitman. He says, what's your favorite cheese? My favorite cheese? Yeah. Fuck. Uh, I, I love. I, I. I'm a big fan of cheese. I. I guess like the, the the ride or die cheese is like cheddar and mutts. <laughs> That's fair. Fair. Keep it simple. Fair. Okay. My next question comes from uh, Big Sean Harris. We had him on the show, somewhat recently, and I asked him, "Do you measure your net worth in sats?" Because I do. I went on it like, and I, I want to know if you do because I went on a a vacation a little road trip last summer. I don't know how many dollars it cost, but I know exactly how many sats it cost because I needed those sats to spend them. Uh, but I, I honestly couldn't tell you how, what the dollar cost of that. I, I could do the math, but I know how many sats it cost. And when I think about how much money I have, I look at my sat stack and I say, okay, this is how many sats I have. So I'm curious if, if that's what you do, or do you still measure your quote unquote net worth in dollars or do you measure your net worth in sats? No, it's all it's all in Bitcoin. Yeah, it it only makes sense. I mean, it makes even more sense for me because I'm in Canada. So I have a lot of friends. I have a couple friends that I talk to about Bitcoin, and they'll tell me the the price in Canadian dollars, and I have no idea what what that even means. I have nothing to compare it to because I've never looked at the price in Canadian dollars because I think the Canada the Canadian dollar is probably going to be one of the first G7s to fail. I'm pretty sure we'll probably be on yeah, a it's USD. already failing. Yeah, it's fucked. So I, I think we go to U, a USD standard. You know, fo- I, I talked to Foss a little bit about that, but uh, yeah, it just—it's so much easier to price your life in Sats because everything else is bullshit. So, yeah, that—that's what you do you, when you look at how much money you have. You look at how many Sats you it's have. All, it's all Sats. Everything is Sats. Oh yeah. How does that's, it? That's rule everything around me. <laughs> how does it feel to to? to know that sats are legitimately now the standard being somebody that's been in the space for so long. Like when I came in, people were just starting to talk about sats saying, Oh yes, start stacking sats, 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 sats. But for you, it must've just been like, like now it's common. It's common. Somebody comes into Bitcoin, you got to stack sats. So how does that feel? Is that weird? Well, there, there was my good friend, Pierre, Pierre Richard, um, we were basically both on the same wavelength. We just realized at some some point, when was it? Maybe it was like late 2018 that that sats, sats had to be the standard. Um, and I actually, you know, I'm pretty sure I came up with the term sats the standard. And it was, it was a mockery of Ripple at the time because Ripple, the Ripple heads were all saying XRP the standard. <laughs> um, so we went with SATs the standard and we just kept pushing it. Um, but I would say that, you know, it's interesting because the newcomers pick it up way quicker. Uh, the, the, old, the old guys were way, are way slower for it. I mean, I've been around, you know, Bitcoin guys that were in Bitcoin longer than me and they can't do sats math. Um, I do, I do a lot of charity auctions with like big Bitcoin holders 
And I always do it in sats because they don't realize how much they're spending. Uh, so they always donate way more to charity. And then afterwards, I'm like, dude, like, do you realize how much you just paid for that fucking necktie? And they just didn't, they couldn't put two and two together. But I, the the OGs that did know it right away are the shit coiners because all the shit coins were priced in sats. Mm. The shit coin economy was, was like the first economy that was priced in sats because they were all so worthless. Um that that they needed the lower denomination. So all the all the crypto exchanges were always using Sats before like Tether took over and a lot of the stable coins took over. Um, all those tickers were Sats tickers. Um, but yeah, like me and Pierre were like on the same wavelength on that, and and we just kind of just pushed it forward. But I mean, it's not like individuals could make like it was inevitable anyway. Like that's why it happened. Um, and most people will think in Sats, and this is why it's a big thing for me to say like. Like the plural of Bitcoin is is just Bitcoin. It's not Bitcoins. Um, there's 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 Sats, uh, but there's just Bitcoin. And uh, for most people, like they'll only ever think in Sats. They'll never think in in Bitcoin terms. I'm a, I'm a fan of saying Bitcoins because all the OGs said Bitcoins. Francis and them say Bitcoins. You know, you got to yeah. Use they're your still Bitcoins. stuck on it. I like it. I, I've tried to keep it alive. <laughs> Time is passing them by. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, man. Um, last question. Multiple accounts asking about a certain article that came out about you. I need to know if you can <laughs> confirm or deny. Uh, it, it's been found out that you've been living a double life as a top G somewhere in, I don't know, Morocco or something. A quote in the article reads, you said, you guys have no idea how hard it is to hodl for multiple cycles and not even have a chair to sit in your fucking apartment. I was just ready to let loose and get got a bit over my head. So what happens? Where are you living? Where are you really, Matt? How many sets are you spending a day? What's going on here? I will say that before that article came out, I didn't know the Bitcoin Bugle existed. And those guys over there do top work. Uh it was a fucking hilarious piece. Uh, they are clearly ride or die because they knew exactly like the the jokes to pull in the article. Um, you know, they dragged my podcast host Marty in it. They dragged my co-founder at Bitcoin Park Rod in it. Um, I don't know who they are because they're nims, but they must be friends. There's there's only I read it. There's only one way that they must be friends. Um, Obviously, I will unequivocally deny that post. Um, it's a satire blog. I mean, it's crazy, though, because, you know, I thought it was fucking hilarious. But it's crazy that people just believe things on the Internet. I know the person who asked this question doesn't believe it, but people actually believe the fucking post. Oh, seriously? And Jesus. There's literally no sources on it whatsoever, but and it's clearly satire, but people believe it. Um, one piece I will say is... And this might be kind of controversial in the Bitcoin community, but uh, I and it made it the post even funnier. But I mean, Andrew Tate can just go fuck himself. <laughs> like I'm not a big Andrew Tate fan. Like to me, he's just a classic shit corner. Like he just has shit corner tendencies, and he should he should have stayed humble. Um, he let the ego get to him. But um, yeah, that's my piece on that. Yeah, fair enough, man. Yeah, Andrew Tate, and she's a classic influencer. Let me get a bunch of people and then monetize them. It's a, it's yep. a skeezy way to make money. I'd prefer people that actually create value and then send them money that way. 
<laughs> that's actually what money is for. All right, Matt, dude, I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. We appreciate you uh, for sure. Give people a handoff to where to follow you, what all the projects are, anything you want to highlight that you're doing. Uh, yeah, just uh, give a little shill fest here, if you will. Um, well, thank you guys for having me. I enjoyed it. It was a fun conversation. Um, hope to meet you in person sometime. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come to Bitcoin Park. We'd love to have you. Oh, can you, can you explain what Bitcoin park is, dude? Like what is Bitcoin park? Bitcoin park is a crazy fucking idea. Um, it's a, it's a campus in downtown Nashville. It's two buildings, um, right near both universities, Vanderbilt and Belmont university. Um, that's focused on Bitcoin and empowering the local community. We have co-working spaces, um, we hold workshops. We have two monthly meetups that are open to the public and free. One that's focused on technical Bitcoin. BitDevs is called BitDevs. Um, there's BitDevs all throughout the world. It was first started in New York. Um, so we're very proud to have a BitDevs at Bitcoin Park. And then we have a topical meetup that we call uh, Bitcoin Park Open House, which is a different topic every month. Open to the public, completely free very high signal conversations, uh, includes Q and a, um, we make it very accessible so people can learn. And it's cool because like every month's a different topic. So like January is mining and every January, if we're successful, like if we can make this thing sustainable, every January will be mining. Like July is lightning and every July will be lightning. And every February will be free and open source software. And so we have a different topic every month and every, every year is the same. Um, I mean, we've only been doing it for seven months, but eight months, but that's, that's the dream. Um, and it's member supported. So we, we have slots for a hundred local members and a hundred out of state members and they pay yearly dues. And they, the dream is that that will make it sustainable right now. Me and my co-founder, we're just trying to make it work. We're, you know, losing a bunch of sats on it right now. Um, but we're getting closer and closer to sustainability, but it's the ideas of these physical spaces. And I mean, we saw 2020 happen. People were encouraged not to see people, not to interact with people. And, but at the same time, like Bitcoin meetups just started growing all around the world. It was like this contra indicator. It was just going the exact opposite direction and, and meeting people in person and talking to people in person and shaking people's hands is incredibly empowering. It just, you know, neighbors helping neighbors. So I like to think, you know, we're building one of the first Bitcoin citadels here in Nashville. Um, and, and, you know, we're trying to empower the local community. We're trying to get more businesses to accept Bitcoin. We're trying to learn real skills, not just Bitcoin, but also, you know, tangential skills. Like, like we're working very closely with the Beef Initiative and, and raising, you know, raising cattle and raising goats, growing your own food. Um, learning how to be proficient in firearms um, and learning how to use your hardware wallet and learn how to use your own node. And we have podcast studios. They were actually music studios, Nashville, you know, city of music. They were originally music studios. Now they're the best Bitcoin podcast studios in the world. Um, so I want a lot of content to come out of there and get broadcast out of there. And yeah, it's just this, this crazy idea we had, um, and uh, we're just trying to bring it into reality, but all are welcome. We had this like great couple just come by, like visiting from 
the UK, like they were just in Nashville. They heard about Bitcoin Park and they just came by and there was a bunch of Bitcoiners and we're just working and talking and chilling and having beers. And it's good vibes. It's just really good vibes. And I implore you to come and hang out and it'd be a pleasure to meet you in person. And the flights are very, I don't know where you are in Canada, but we have a very good airport. Uh, and uh, the flights are, are, are pretty easy. Right on, man. Dude, uh, yeah, I'd like to get down there. I'm in Alberta. We're having the Bitcoin Rodeo. Are you going to come up for that? Hosted by yeah, just, uh, Bitcoin Brains. What's his name? Dave I, Bradley. We just had him on the show recently. Yeah, I just had Dave on uh, Dispatch uh, oh, shit. today. Oh, shit. Okay. So oh, right today, on. Today was, today was a double podcast day. Uh, your podcast and my podcast. Um, but yeah, I had Dave on today. Um I got some good things going on right now, so it's it, I might not be able to make the schedule work, um, but I told him I'm 50-50, uh, okay. but it looks like it's going to be a fun time. I, I think it'll be a good time. It, it seems like it's going to be one of those Bitcoiner events hosted by actual Bitcoiners, and I haven't been to, I never made it to Miami, I didn't go to any of the other conventions or whatever, so th this is going to be a fun one, I'm sure. And if like you come, Matt, if you, oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go yeah, hit me with it. I was just gonna say, if you do if you do decide to come, be sure to use coupon code YPOD. <laughs> you get 60, 60 bucks bucks off. Uh, Dave, oh, Dave hit us good. with that, so right on. But yeah, sorry. Um, no, I was just gonna say, um, you know, as 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 Bitcoin adoption increases and accelerates, there's definitely a place for twenty thousand person events, three thousand person events, or whatever, but. You know, Bitcoin Rodeo, I asked him, I think he's targeting like 400 people. Like to me, that's the sweet spot. Like our Bitcoin Park events are like 200 people. Like it's just really high signal, just very intimate. Like that, that's, those are the kind of events that I really enjoy nowadays. Um, yeah, so, so it, it definitely sounds like it's going to be great. And uh, if I can't make it, I will be rooting you all on from afar and hopefully I'll make it next year. <laughs> Right on, man. Right on. Uh, okay, sorry. Yeah, I cut you off. Any anything else you want to shill for people to <laughs> to go check out? That's true. Um, all my links are at Odell.xyz, um, and my guides are at WeRunBTC.com. Uh, I also launched a blog recently, which is DiscreteLog.com. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. My my Twitter is just at Odell, but um, that's where you can find me. Right on, man. Win caps. When Cap's uh, he's hiding below the surface. Trying, uh... I'm ready, dude. I'm ready. I'm ready to go Cap's Goomba whenever you're Cap's Hotel. No, nobody's ready. <laughs> Everybody's ready. It's going to be a good time. All right, man. Th thanks so much again. We appreciate your time. Uh, anybody listening, we appreciate you listening. If you want to support the show, consider sharing it with a friend. Uh, if you're listening on Fountain, that's fucking awesome. Consider sending us a boost and we will read it on the episode we love doing that boosts are great you guys are great matt you're great we appreciate you all and remember as always if ever you're standing outside and you're just thinking to yourself and you're just wondering what why not just stop and wonder why what okay cut <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>